Be seated. Thank you, folks, for leading us in worship. Good morning. It's good to see you today. I want to share just a few things about our church as we're transitioning here. First of all, uh, yesterday was our first day of upward basketball and cheerleading. Uh, for the next eight weeks, you can pray for the children who will be in our church, uh, who will hear uh, uh, a devotion, a message about the Word of God. I want to thank those who serve uh, in upward they have 16 teams and all coaches and referees and game day coordinators are all volunteers and most are members of our church. Thank you for the investing in the lives of children and we pray what a difference that will make. We have today a group of 64 students and leaders in Pigeon Forge for a Strength to Stand conference and we heard word of kids who had accepted Christ last night in their opening session. We're praying for them today as they... Uh, are there teenagers from our church, 64 people, uh, learning about God on a retreat setting. I want to share with you today uh, a new emphasis in prayer ministry in our church. We're, we want to expand the number of people who, from our church who are lifting up our church in prayer. And uh, that is so vital to what we do. Uh, and so today, we're inviting you to sign up for a specific time slot each week that you would pray for our church and for the kingdom of God. Now, some of you are already have, you already have a regular prayer life, and we're asking you to incorporate this into your prayer life, that whatever time you pray, that there'll be once a week, when at least 15 minutes, maybe more, but at least 15 minutes, you'll specifically pray for our church and the kingdom. And if you don't yet, uh, if prayer is not yet a part of your life, what a great start this would be. We're asking you to sign up at the Welcome Center. There's a grid of every hour of every day of the week, Sunday through Saturday, midnight through to midnight. And so we're asking you to consider signing up uh, for a time slot that you would uh, take to pray for our church. Nancy Davis, who's a relatively new member of our church, is going to coordinate this ministry. She'll be at the Welcome Center after each of the services, after connection groups today to answer any questions. And we'll give you there a list of ongoing prayer requests of our church. And then if you sign up by your email every week, we will send you current prayer requests that you pray for our church or what's going on in the kingdom. And so I want to encourage you to be a, a part of, of this ministry. Uh, this could be a growth point in your life. And we need to expand. We have a great prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, but we really need more people involved. We're in a spiritual warfare. We need your prayer support. Would you uh, prayerfully consider committing to pray for a time slot that you'll pray for our church and for the kingdom every week? I want to encourage you to do that in prayer partners uh, because that's been a big blessing to me, and it'll hold you accountable. Somebody calls you, oh, I'm supposed to be praying now, oh yeah, and you'll pray with that prayer partner. So maybe there's two of you that want to talk together, friends or somebody in a class, and you say, let's sign up together and hold us accountable. And at that time, maybe you meet for coffee or maybe you call one another or whatever, but you're going to pray together. But you can do it alone. But I want to encourage you. Thank you for, for uh, listening and for, that, uh, uh, for sharing in this prayer ministry. Well, uh, today I'm sharing a series of sermons on... Uh, the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Last week I shared an introduction to this sermon. 
And the Sermon on the Mount is about how we as followers of Jesus are to live. And the key word is different. We are to live differently because we belong to Jesus. And this Sermon on the Mount is going to be challenging. It's going to be radical. It's going to make us look different. And so this is going to, this is going to challenge us in the weeks ahead to live a radical kind of discipleship. But where Jesus begins with the sermon is a real word of encouragement. And what we're going to see today is what Jesus says, the different life is a rewarding life. Yes, it's going to be challenging, but this is the most rewarding life in the world. If you're seeking for something in your life, the different life that Jesus called us to is the richest and the fullest and the most rewarding life of all. That's what we're going to see today. The Sermon on the Mount begins, we begin in Matthew chapter 5, with, with the Beatitudes. Uh, they're called the Beatitudes because that's a Latin word that means blessed. And the New Testament was first translated into Latin, and, and so that's just sort of stuck. But the Beatitudes are eight statements of blessing. Each of these eight verses that we're going to look at begins with the word blessed. It could be translated happy. This is a different kind of happiness. You want, to know, you want to know how to be happy? Well, we're about to look at it today. A different view of the good life or how to be happy or how to be blessed. Each of these eight statements, then after it begins with the word blessed, is going to have a situation or a character trait that brings about blessing. And the thing about these is they're surprising. They're paradoxes. They're what seem to be upside down. He's going to say things like, Blessed, happy are the persecuted. Are you, happy? are you persecuted? Happy, happy, happy. Are you poor? Blessed are the poor in spirit. They're sort of what you don't expect. They're surprises. They're upside down. This is a different way of life. And then each of these statements is going to have a reward. It is going to say at the end a reward that God is going to give because of this situation or this character trait. Uh, these rewards refer ultimately to heaven, but they began to be experienced now. The, the different life is a rewarding life now, and that reward is going to culminate in heaven. So let's look at the Beatitudes, these eight statements of blessing, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. The first of the eight is this, blessed or happy are to be envied or congratulations to the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you, uh, this is significant that this is the first one because this is the key to entering the kingdom or becoming a Christian. Or if you want to change your life today, there's some things that you need to change in your life. This is the first step to changing your life. To be poor in spirit means to recognize that I don't have it all together. It means to recognize that I am spiritually bankrupt or impoverished. I'm poor in spirit. I don't have it all together. I need some help. And that's the first step in changing your life. It's the first step in entering the kingdom and living this different life. It's significant that this is the first one. This is why it's harder for rich people to become Christians than poor people. Because your wealth 
insulates you from seeing your spiritual poverty. You think you are doing well. This is why uh, that Jesus said tax collectors and prostitutes get into the kingdom before Pharisees. Because if you are living a pretty moral life, it's more difficult for you to see that you're poor in spirit. This is why a lot of people get saved in prison. Because when you're, you're in prison, you pretty much get it that you're poor in spirit, right? And so you're at the bottom. This is the beginning of kingdom life. To recognize I don't have it all together. If you're focused on hypocrites and, and you're real critical of hypocrites, you're far from the kingdom. Because you're not recognizing that you are poor in spirit. So this first beatitude is about recognizing my own spiritual poverty that I don't have it all together. And when you know you're a mess or you know you've fallen short, you're close to the kingdom. When you think you're better than most, got it all together, don't need any help from God, you're a long way from the kingdom of God. So the opposite of this, I think, would be self-righteous. But those who recognize our poverty of spirit, he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Present tense. Some of these are going to be in the present, some in the future about these rewards. There's a present blessing. You're in the kingdom of heaven. The second one is, blessed are they who mourn, for they'll be comforted, verse 4. To mourn is to be, uh, is to be grieved over your sin and over the sin of around you. Now, to be mourning does not mean that Christians who live this different life are melancholy people or pessimistic or weepy people. That's not what it means. Christians, I believe, living this different life ought to be those joyful, laugh-filled people of all. But it means it, Christians love a joke, but we don't joke about everything. It means to, that there's some gravity of life, that there's some things that are serious. We don't joke about hell because hell is real. We don't joke about sin because sin is it's terrible. And so those who mourn are those who are grieved over some things that displease God. Is there any mourning in your life? We're learning this different life here. Do you ever shed any tears over your sin? Do you ever shed any tears over lost people? Is there an absence of mourning in our Christianity? Does anything going on in our country grieve you? Well, if so... He says there's a blessing there. They'll be comforted. I think the opposite of those, blessed are those who mourn, those who are frivolous, who never give any serious thought to life and are never moved by any unrighteousness and injustice in our world. But blessed are those who mourn. The third one, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I think this is the most misunderstood of the Beatitudes because this sounds wimpy, you know, it, meek rhymes with weak. Meek sounds like the sound a mouse would make, you know. Meek, 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 meek. You know, it just sounds mousy and wimpy. And, and so it's the most misunderstood of the Beatitudes. It does not mean weak, but it, mean, it is the same word that G, translated gentle when Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for my, I am gentle. Uh, 
it is, it is power that is restrained. It is Jesus on the cross when he could have called 10,000 angels, but he was gentle. He restrained. It strength restrained, that self-restraint, that gentleness that we treat other people with. And he says, blessed are those. It's the opposite of being aggressive and power-hungry. And he says, blessed are those who are gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And then number four is, Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you're to the point where you're, ah, I'm hungering for what's right, I long for what is right in my life and in our world around me, then that's good news, they'll be filled. Now, look at these first four Beatitudes. If you look at them on your sermon notes on the, uh, in, the, in the bulletin, I put these first four in a box. I think there are two parts to the, to the Beatitudes. There's two sections. These first four uh, could be summed up in the word empty or hungry. You see that commonality in them there? You're poor in spirit. You mourn, you're meek, you're hungry. And there's, there's sort of a negative picture. And, and then the last four that we're going to look at, key off of this last word, fill, those who are empty, God fills. And so next part is going to be a life that's full. We're going to talk about the merciful. And that's sort of the turning point here in the Beatitudes. Think about how it would be. These are both encouragement and challenge. Think about when Jesus was on that mountain and here were these common people who didn't have a lot of money and were overtaxed and were downtrodden and and were looked down upon by the Pharisees because they couldn't keep all the ritual law and they're sitting on a hillside surrounding Jesus and he gets up and talks to them and he says, to be envied are you who are poor in spirit, you whose life is one of mourning, congratulations to you, happy are you who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. It's an encouragement to you. If you're here today and you're empty, God says, hey, you're in a good place. I can bless you. I can fill you. You're in line for the rewarding life. If you're downtrodden, if you know you're broken, if you've really messed up in life, these beatitudes are a word of encouragement to you because God's kingdom is open to you and you recognize your need. It's also a word of challenge that if you think you got it together and you're full, I'm full of righteousness and, I, and I'm just a frivolous, power-hungry person, it's a word of challenge that you're not really headed toward the different life. I think I can see that in these first four I see something in the prodigal son. You know Jesus' story of the prodigal son? And Jesus told the story of, of that guy who thought he had it all together and he thought he knew what he wanted to do in life and he got all of his money from his dad and he went off into a foreign country and he was living a great life, he thought. He didn't re- recognize he was empty and then he came to the point where he recognized he was poor in spirit and he mourned what he had lost and he humbled himself and became meek and he hungered for, for his father's home and he and he humbled himself and went back and said, I've messed up, let me be a slave in your household. And when he recognized he was empty and he became poor in spirit and he mourned his sin and he hungered for righteousness and he became meek, then God, then the father said to him, rejoice, we're going to have a party. I'm so glad you've come to this state in your life and I'm glad you're home. You see that movement in these first four Beatitudes? That's the different life. That's the way to blessing 
And it's both an encouragement and a challenge. All right, let's move to the last four, and we're going to see a fuller life. When you recognize you're empty, Jesus will fill you. And so the next one is, blessed are the merciful. Last word of the one before was, they will be filled. Well, here it is. Blessed, happy are the merciful. Now, when you're on this life, we're to be people filled with mercy. So folks, we can't be hate-filled like the rest of people in our culture are going to be. We can't be spewing venom. He's called us to a different life. We've received grace. Now we're to be grace Filled are merciful, and blessed are the merciful, they'll be shown mercy. And then he says that we must be next pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, verse 8, for they'll see God. The righteousness of the Pharisees, the righteousness of first century Judaism, was largely an external thing. You washed the ritual washings. You did the right things on the Sabbath. It was an exterior kind of righteousness. And what this sermon is going to turn things upside down and say, God cares about your motives, your heart, your attitude. And this righteousness is about purity in heart that will exhibit in right actions as well. And so Jesus is saying, now when you follow the different way, you're going to be full of mercy and you're going to be pure in heart, and you'll see God. And then the third beatitude, blessed, in this section, verse 9, seventh overall, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. So now he's filled us with peace, as he's filled us with mercy, and we're to be merciful. He's filled us with peace. We're at peace with God now. And so now we are agents of reconciliation, and we're to be peacemakers and so our job, our ministry is to help other people come into a relationship with God through Christ. Peacemakers. And it's to help other people come together. We can't be people of racism. We can't be people of division. He's called us to be peacemakers. To be active agents of the kingdom in this new way of life. And blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called children of God. The eighth beatitude, the final one, it's a double beatitude. It says, first of all, in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it comes back to the same reward that the first one had. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. comes full circle now. And it's reminding disciples that when you live a different life, not everybody's going to like it. And you are going to have opposition when you live the different life of the kingdom as a follower of Jesus. Now, we're going to try to be peacemakers. We're going to be full of mercy. We're not going to be spewing venom. We're not going to be dividers. But just following Jesus in this different life will inevitably bring opposition. And I want to say... To those of you especially who are, are 25 and younger, this is the beatitude that you need to know the most. Because radical change in the attitude toward the different life has come in the last 25 years and it will intensify in the next 50. And so you are going to need to know this beatitude more than any other. It's a double beatitude, so the next verse says, 
Verse 11, blessed are you. He turns now saying blessed are they. This last one, he just brings it home to you. The second person, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And he says the reason, verse 12, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when you experience persecution, number one, you're in the company of Jeremiah and Daniel. That's pretty cool, right? And when you experience persecution, great is your reward in heaven. Not just mediocre or medium, great is your reward in heaven. So it's cause for rejoicing. Now, I say this, uh, and I'm no prophet, I may be wrong, but I really believe in our culture in the next 50 years, you will experience these exact things, insults, falsely saying all kind of evil against you because of me. And surprisingly, what I never could have foreseen 40 years ago when I began in ministry is that the persecution of Christians in our culture is going to come in regard to sexual ethics. I never would have envisioned that, but that's what it is. You see, we affirm three basic statements about sexual ethics that we have held as Christians since the time of Christ for 2,000 years. We have not changed on these, but our culture has radically changed. Those three statements are, number one, sexual intimacy is a good gift of God to be enjoyed within marriage. Number two, marriage is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman. And number three, gender is a gift given by a sovereign God to be received with thanksgiving. We've held those statements as Christians throughout Christian history. But our culture has so moved and is so moving that if you simply affirm these, and you who are 25 and younger will especially either have to deny those statements or experience persecution for them in the next 50 years. That's my prediction. No prophet, so I could be wrong, but that's my prediction. If you hold to those three statements, sexual intimacy is a good gift of God to be enjoyed within marriage. Marriage is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman. And gender is a gift of a sovereign God to be received with thanksgiving. Then already in the entertainment industry, you will lose your platform today, right? And soon in other areas, it will as well. And, and see, the problem with you, not the problem, but the thing with you who are 25 and younger is that you've lived with this your life, so you don't see the radical change. So let me tell you about it. 20 years ago, Congress passed the Defense of Marriage Act, which affirmed the second of my three statements. It simply said, Defense of Marriage Act said that for the purposes of the federal government, marriage will be considered between one man and one woman. It was, it was voted for by 84 out of 100 senators and signed into law by Bill Clinton. So in other words, that's about as big a majority on it. I mean, that was total agreement 20 years ago on that statement by our government. Isn't that amazing now? Now, 20 years, the Defense of Marriage Act has been declared unconstitutional, and uh, it's gone exactly the other way. So if you're tw- that was when you were five years old. If you're 25, that's when you were five. You've lived, you've not known anything different. I'm saying there's been a seismic shift in your lifetime, and that shift is continuing. We're not shifting. 
We're just going to stand with grace and with peacemaking where we have always stood for 2,000 years. But as we continue to stand humbly, meekly, gently upon that truth, our shifting culture is going to bring this beatitude into more clear focus in your life. And you're going to need to know this. And you know what your response needs to be? Not, oh, or whining. Rejoice and be very glad because great is your reward in heaven. And you are in the company of the greatest saints that God has ever had. That's the attitude that you must have. It is a privilege to serve the risen Lord. And if I suffer for him, it is my greatest privilege in life to be counted worthy to be a part of his kingdom. This is the different life. It's a radical life. It is one that he calls us to that is going to put us at odds with culture, but is going to be attractive because nobody else is going to live but those who are filled with Jesus, poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and greatly persecuted. Let's pray together. Oh, dear Jesus, we want to follow this different way. Thank you for the encouragement you've given us today that this will be the most fulfilling, most rewarding life in all the world. Encourage somebody right here today who has, feels broken and downtrodden and feels like they are so poor in spirit. Oh, Lord, may they hear your congratulations to be envied. How happy. And Lord, those of us who have become self-righteous, are aggressive, are complacent, oh God, may we be poor in spirit and mourn today that we may be filled. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together?